Praise the Lord, everybody. I'm so glad we're in the house of the Lord. We're going to be talking these next three Wednesday nights about this topic, the oneness of God. Some of you, this is a, you could teach this lesson. The pastor has asked for this material to be communicated. And the only weird thing about it is that I am the communicator and I have a strange mind. So I might talk about it in ways you've never heard before, which I pray will be good. Hopefully it won't be bad. Can you, I'm mostly joking. You could smile. That's okay. I thought I was joking until no one responded to it. It's like, well, maybe it is going to be scary. I don't know. I was told a story uh, this week about a family that brought their newborn to get dedicated by the pastor at uh, the beginning of a Sunday morning service. They had a five-year-old that they had already had before uh, they had started coming to that church. And he sat in the front row, between mom and dad, and watched as pastor held the baby and talked to the family, you know, the usual thing. And at the end of the service, he began to cry. And when they got him in the car, he sobbed all the way home. And they said to the five-year-old little boy, Honey, what is the problem? What's wrong? Why are you crying? He said, well, pastor said at least three times in the service that, that I should be raised in a Christian home, that I should be raised in a godly home, but, but I want to live with you guys. Okay. <laughs> I just had to go. I, I enjoyed that so much. I thought, yes, that's true. Okay. So here we go. We are going to talk about the oneness of God. What a manifold topic. What an amazing amount of scriptures and dialogue we can have. And I am just going to do what I feel the Lord wants you to do to start about the nature of God, the most important element, the thing that once I have that foundation allows me to understand so much more. So we're going to talk about the nature of God. And as Brother Chris said, Scott Chris asked me, are you going to tell us all the blanks tonight? Well, no. Probably I'll tell you like nine out of ten. I'm not going to tell you which one I'm going to skip, but one will probably be skipped, and you just got to be on your toes and find it. Can you do that? All right. So the nature of God. John 4.24 says, God is a spirit. Someone say spirit. spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, is the core understanding of this lesson, is the foundation. You can circle or underline that, put highlights around it. Jesus helped us understand the major distinguishing things between a body and a spirit in Luke 24. Remember when he was there? In the room, he appeared to the ten. Judas was, was dead. Thomas was out. And they were hiding. And Jesus appeared there. And they were scared to death. The Bible says they were, they had, it was like joy, but you, want to be ha- you don't want to be happy if you're seeing a ghost. Maybe it could be, it couldn't be. And he told them th- these words to help them understand. Behold my hands and my feet that it is I, myself. Handle me. That's, come on, touch me. I'm sure someone touched his shoulder. I can imagine that conversation. Handle me and see. And here's the clear delineation for all time. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. For all time, that's the Definition. That's down the line, okay? Is it a spirit? Does it have flesh and bones? I and mean, it's not a spirit. If it, had, if it doesn't have flesh and bones and you can't, I'm not sure if you can see it or not, it could be a spirit. In Matthew 16, 17, when he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? They gave him answers. But who do you say that I am? And then Peter took that step of saying, you are the Christ, or that's the word means Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds by saying, 
Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee. So, wait, 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 stop, hold on. What was it before about flesh and blood? Flesh and blood, or flesh and bones at least. At least flesh, that's a person. So he's saying no body has revealed it to you. But who's revealed it to him? My Father which is in heaven. Okay? We're again showing this contrast comparison. Remember that from fifth grade? Contrast, compare. So big differences. Some of you don't want to think about fifth grade, but we just went there. Exodus 33, this is what the Lord says about himself. He's describing himself. You cannot see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. Okay, whoa, we're getting more of the pieces, more of the clues are coming in. Listen to 1 John 4 and 12. And this is a verse that makes some people very, very upset. It's crazy that it make them upset. I was 17. I didn't know really much tact or um, diplomacy, and I'm still working on that, trying to do better. But for some reason, I don't know why, why, and God knows only why, I was asked to go to the Kestens' house and talk to their dad, Lou Keston. Lou Keston uh, did not come to our church. He was upset with our church. His wife did. His kids did. Larry Keston, remember the doctor that came, oh, how many months ago was that? Or a year, when, maybe a pastor's birthday, whatever that was. Um, this is Larry's dad. And he was hardened in his ways and upset about our church and what we believed, and especially about this one God thing. And so all I had at my disposal was this huge section of scriptures underneath the title, of the oneness of God that I had learned for the Pentecostal doctrine that year. That's all I had. So I just began quoting verses to him. And when I got to this one, he got up, mad, walked around the back of the couch, like punched the back of the couch. He was just frustrated because it took his concept of there being three persons or three bodies or three distinct individuals in heaven and made it kind of fall apart. Listen to the verse. No man hath seen God at any time. Back up again. Ready? No man, that's nobody, hath seen God at any time. Right away you're having questions in your mind. You may be thinking, well, what about this guy who saw God and this guy who saw God? We'll get to that. No man has seen God at any time. That's important to understand. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. No man. First Timothy, Paul describes God like this. Who only hath immortality, drawn in the light that no man can approach unto. No man. You see the similarities there? Who no man hath seen. No man hath seen. I think my, my thing there is no man. I like no man. No man. No man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor, power, everlasting. Amen. If you have questions right now in your head about Jesus and the Holy Ghost and Old Testament stories, let's stay right now with just the rudiments, the fundamentals. Let's not get anywhere else but say, who is God? We know, without a doubt, God's a spirit. We know God's not a body. We know no man can or has seen God at any time. Right? We good so far? All right. Colossians 1.15 describes Jesus like this. Who is the image? That's the thing I can see. That's image. I see it. Of the invisible God cannot be seen. The firstborn of every creature. Here's how David talked about God in all his manifold uh, traits, his ability to be everywhere at once, his knowing everything. These are omni-words, omnipresent, omniscient, all those words. They kind of come together in a full package in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Come on, really. How, how can I go there 
and God's not there? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, hey, there's God. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. That scripture always bothered me. Because I thought, God, I don't make my bed in Terre Haute. And I ought to. But that's not what it means. It means it's not talking about the covers. It's talking about if you decide I'm going to stay in the pits. I'm going to live there. And if you feel bad about me right now, I am working on that. I'm going to make my bed more often. I feel convicted right now. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning, look at this escape. And I'm out there in the uttermost parts of the sea. Nobody can find me, not even on an island. Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold me. Look at the kindness of the Lord. This is describing a person getting away from God, or at least trying to run away, or abdicate all responsibility, connection with God, yet God is there. I I promise, my brother, I would not preach. I am not going to be motivational. I am not going to be exciting at all. I'm going to teach. No, I probably will be all those things because whatever. That's just who I am, I suppose, hopefully. But think about this. No person can leave this place, this altar, and go to the pits of hell at some club or some place or some low of their life or some horrible, disgusting thing and God not be there. And God not still reach for them. Oh, God, how many stories I've heard in my life of men on bar stools hearing something and it making them think about the church. How many people have I heard that left their, their uh, the man that I spoke to in, in, in the southeast Missouri who left his wife, she begged him to not leave his church. She was pastoring in West Virginia at the time. And she tried to take all the prescription drugs he had gotten himself hooked on and flush them down the toilet. He left his wife, left his babies, went out to the world. He's Five years later, everyone's begging him to come to church consistently, praying for him. Nothing's happening. He's at a bar playing songs because he had the ability to play the piano. Someone says, comes up, puts some money in the little glass. I guess that's how they do that and ask for a song. And they say, will you play Amazing Grace? He said, oh, sure, I know that song. He starts playing it. He told me, he said, when I got to, I once was blind, but now I see. I, I felt like I was... I was frozen. I couldn't play anymore. I started crying. I went to him. I was just crying. I walked out of there. It was a smoky, dark club. I just stumbled my way back to my hotel and just laid on the ground. I cried and prayed till the next afternoon. Finally went to some church service and his life was transformed. Why, how can that happen? Because even when the man in the story here in Psalm 139 is getting far, far away, yet when he gets there, God says, I'm here. I'm here waiting for you. Oh, what the power of God. What moves my heart. It's so opposite of what we think it ought to be. The way we think it ought to be, the way it comes to my mind is, okay, I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to get a hold of God. And then I'm going to do great things for God. Or God's going to show up. And it's not that we shouldn't pray and fast, but the Bible says it happened like this. When Peter and John were on their way to the prayer meeting, they said, look on us to the lame man. Wait a minute. No, 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 no. Go and pray. You stayed there for three hours. Then you come back and talk to the guy and then do something. No, they were on their way to pray. And at the end of it, everyone's looking at them saying, oh, look at these people. And they say very clearly, why are you looking at us as though it's our own power, my ability to heal people, or my own Holiness, my godliness, how good I am. It's not saying that they're living in sin, but they were clearly to say, it's not our ability. It's not because I'm such a good guy. It's because of these two factors. That name and faith in that name hath made this man strong, which you see in the presence of you all. What a power of God. What a reverse of what we think. Sometimes it's really in spite of us that God is moving. Mm. And I, when I read this verse, I think, Lord, even with the man getting out to the uttermost parts of the sea, even if he's going to so far that no one could ever find him, there your hand leads me. 
there your right hand holds me. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I, you know what? I, I'm, I, I take in this moment right now, and just give me a minute if you would. Close your eyes, Lord. I believe right now for every backslider, and I've got some that I'm praying for in my own household, Lord. That this moment, Lord, when I, I want to see something great in their life and I want to see transformation, help me to believe that no matter where they go, what place they're in, what business, what, what spot they're in, that even there your right hand holds them, your hand leads them, even that moments, Lord, even those places where they couldn't be farther away from a Pentecostal service, where they couldn't be more than, more than thousands of miles away from an altar service, yet your hand still is there. I'm believing that, Lord. I'm claiming this word. I'm standing on the authority of your word, not on my own hopes, my own, my own emotions. I'm standing on the authority and power of your word. You wrote it. You designed it. You created it. You put it here for me, Lord, to say, I'm going to believe this. I'm praying for it. Jesus in your name. Jesus in your name. If I say the darkness will cover me, mm, surely darkness will cover me. No no one can see me in the dark. Even the night shall be a light about me. Yea, the darkness doesn't hide from you. The night shines as the day. God created the night. He created the light. Darkness is not difficult for him, right? Darkness and light are both alike to thee. You possess my range. You cover me in my mother's womb. We're talking about a God that, number one, we put together. He's a spirit. He's not a body. Not like we would think of any body, right? No man has seen him at any time. No man will ever see him. Ever see him. God is everywhere at once. He fills all space and time and beyond it. He created this. Imagine the computer programmer or the man who built the computer. He's not locked inside his computer. He can operate inside it. He can take it physically apart. He can get inside the program himself. He's not inside that. And that's a pitiful example of our great God. He's so powerful, so mighty. This great expanse of sky you see in the gorgeous stars and beyond are not his limitations. He's bigger than this. He doesn't need time. He can work a work in your life instantly. Yes, he can. Well, I, I can't get started on that, but let me just put this in your notes somewhere in your brain. You should write this down. God has no shortages. God has no shortages. That is an incredible concept when you think about it. When we went to youth camp in Westphalia, Missouri, when I was a teenager 100 years ago, close to that, when we were there, there was, a, there was a movement of people at that time wanting to give a message in tongues. It, was just, it seemed like it was, happened a lot. A lot of teenagers. And I'll never forget the kid that stood up in the back and said, Thus saith the Lord. It's like we all got quiet. He said, Times are hard. It's hard in the East. It's hard in the West. There's shortages everywhere. It's rough out there. Sometimes I don't even think that I can even make it. Thus saith the Lord and sat back down. Well, that is not, definitely not the Lord. He's never said, I don't know if I can make it. <laughs> he has never said that. That's not God. And as ridiculous as it is, let's start with ridiculous and work our way to clarity. God has no shortages. God is never short of time. Never. God's never short of money. What's the Bible say? All the silver, he says, in prophets multiple times. I know Hosea is one of those. All the silver is mine. All the gold is mine. All the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. Right? God has no shortages of time, money, or strength. What did he say in Isaiah? My arm is not shortened that I cannot save. God is not getting weaker or tired or worn out or sick of people or interested in something else. We serve a God without shortages. Think of it. 
what, is the, what are the things you could think of that God can provide? Direction? No shortages. Healing and deliverance? Whatever he's done before, he can do that and much more. Remember, we've just learned about it a couple weeks ago, that God's beyond our expectations, our experiences. God is beyond that. God has no shortages in gifts of the Spirit. He is not short in prophetic words or in visions and dreams. God has no shortages. Now, you might say, okay, wait a minute. That's the truth. Then why do we have so many shortages? Well, that's another matter. You need to talk to the Lord about that. But in reality, you could say, I don't have a money problem because I serve the Almighty King. I don't know where it's coming from or how it's going to work. I've got to obey him. He's going to work it out. He can produce money out of a fish's mouth. He can take a widow's last little food they're going to eat and then die. How much, how little food does that got to be? And then pr- make that food last. God has no shortages. He has no shortages of people. Everything you need, everything I need is available in him. And everything he wants you to do, I can do. You may not believe that, but that is a powerful, life-changing mentality. We do not serve a poor God. Not saying he wants my, me to have a bucket list that I get all the things in life that I want to do because that, the Bible calls that my own lust. That's feeding my own flesh, right? He has a will that's way different than mine, sometimes opposite. He has thoughts, Isaiah said, that are way higher than mine, as high as the heavens. And that's the highest than mine. And his thoughts higher than my thoughts. But God has no shortages. He has no shortage. He has a shortage of anything of people that will obey him. And like me and you that need to listen to him. Okay, that is not even on my notes. But I'm going to take that as let the Lord do what he wants. Does it, that, the, God's word is so awesome. It is so reassuring to read his word. It's like, oh, I see that now. Thank you, Lord. I, didn't, I wasn't getting that before. That's what his word does for me. It brings in light to my mind. The Bible calls it illumination. Clarity of my thoughts. Aha moments to my days. Oh, now I see that. Okay, I got that. Now, the Bible um, gives us this concept, but not this word, of anthropomorphisms. That's a big word. That will win you a prize if you play it in some game. In Scrabble, I don't think you can do that in Scrabble. But if you do it in somewhere, you'll be, some people will really be rewarded You'll be like, wow, you're awesome. It is interpretations of non-human in terms of human, so humans can understand. It literally means explaining God in words I understand. Right? Okay. I want you to say this phrase with me. Ready? Say, God is a spirit. spirit. All right, when I call on you, you're going to say that phrase. Let's practice. Ready? All right. So Jesus defined what a body and a spirit is. You've already covered that part, but it's very important to understand. So all of the things I'm going to mention to you are anthropomorphisms, are just, an, just a way for the writers to explain non-human things in human ways. Okay? God doesn't have nostrils, two large nostrils, that breathed on the Red Sea and part of the waters because, wow, you guys already, look at that. I told you that 12 seconds ago and you forgot it already. Let's try it again. God doesn't have nostrils that breathe upon the Red Sea. You probably were writing. I just realized that. Forgive me. Breathe on the Red Sea and part of the waters because, there we go. And with the blast of thy nostrils, in the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap. The depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. God is not a man or a woman, male or female, because people say all the time, well, I think when I get to heaven, God, I'm going to meet God, and God's going to be a woman. I don't understand the concept. God is not a woman. God's not a guy. Because God created them. That was his design, right? So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created them. 
God is not a man or a woman because God does not have physical eyeballs in every place of the world. God doesn't have that. Like the little girl came home from Sunday school, heard this verse, and heard the lesson about God sees you. God sees what you're doing. The mother said that she went to her closet, closed both the doors, undressed, got dressed, came back out. And she said, honey, what are you doing? She said, well, I want to dress up my closet because God sees me. He sees, he's seeing me, so I want to get over in the closet. No, you can't get out of God's sight. There's not a place. God doesn't have physical eyeballs because the eyes of the Lord, Proverbs said, are in every place beholding the evil and good, but not physical eyeballs. God does not get hungry because if I were hungry, he's the psalmist says of God, God would say, I wouldn't tell you. If I wanted a sandwich, I wouldn't get a hold of you because the world is mine and the fullness thereof. God doesn't get hungry. Why doesn't he get hungry? That's right. It's important. You have to get, once you get this really clear, oh, so many things become more clear. God fills all space and time and no building on earth can contain all of him because what did Solomon said? But will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven and heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have builded. Circle those words, heaven, heaven, heavens, real quick. The first one means our, our atmosphere. The heavens, that's our atmosphere, okay? The heaven of heavens is all beyond that. The farthest galaxy. Remember Paul said the man was caught up into the third heaven? What's a third heaven? It's that spiritual place, the place we say where God's throne is at, where God's presence is at. He was caught up into a spiritual spot. Not the heaven here and not the heaven that Pluto's in, but heaven of God. That's a spiritual dimension. We're all going to go to heaven. That's not meaning we're going to go to our atmosphere and we're not going to go to a distant galaxy. We're going to go to another dimension called heaven, right? Okay. The heaven and the heavens of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built it in the same way. I think Brother Terry Shocks mentioned this. Pastor talked about it as well. God moves, can move and does move beyond our fellowship, beyond any denomination, beyond our all the sometimes people believe they have control of God and own God because we have revelation in God. We have we understand the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. God is not bound up in here. Understand what I'm saying? That doesn't mean God's not pleased with us or God, we don't experience God. We do. But God is so powerfully able. He's around the globe and beyond all the same time. It's hard for me to even comprehend that. God does not have a voice that you can hear because and they heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. I always struggle with that as a kid. How do voices walk in the cool of the day? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. John said, and the Father himself which sent me hath borne witness of me. Oh, Jesus says this, I'm sorry. John 5, 37. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time. Someone say any time. Nor seen his Shape. Why is that? Because God doesn't have a shape. God cannot have, doesn't have a voice. God cannot be seen or heard because God is a... That's right. God doesn't have a form you can see because... Now under the King Eternal. This is in Timothy, by the way. I'm not sure that verse uh, number didn't show up. Immortal. Invisible. The only wise God, I believe it's First Timothy 6.16. Someone made a check me on that one. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He's an invisible God. God has no right side and no right hand because hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Okay, These are all 
What, what, what are these things? If, if God doesn't have hands and nostrils and eyeballs, if God has formally understand him, what, what, what are these things? These are man's attempts to communicate spirit with things I understand. Hands and nostrils and fingers and eyes and voices. God doesn't have a very large finger because... And the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And he hearkened not to them, as the Lord said. Jesus said, but if I with the finger of God... He didn't grab a big finger and point it and cast out devils. Cast out devils... No doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. Earth is his footstool, but God does not have his feet propped up on the planet because thus saith the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? Where is the place of my rest? God is not white or black or brown or any other variation of humanity because and is made one blood. All the nations of, for men to dwell. Wait a minute. Whoa. That would mess up a lot of people who have hate in their heart and racism and nasty spirits if they believe that we all have one blood. We're all one family called the family of earth, family of God. We're family humanity. I don't know how, I don't know anybody that is racist against their own family. Maybe they are. That would be really hard to do. People that despise and hate their own family, I guess it can happen. But if you understand that scripture, that should tear apart any mentality of anyone being less than or anyone being worthy of being treated badly, right? We're of one blood. That's, that's you and me. We're the same. We've got, we're part of one family. One blood of nations are men to dwell on in the face of the earth and have to determine the times before appointed and the bond to the habitation. Here's a point. Don't lose me on this part. Jesus did not, God did not say rather to his son Jesus, you go down there and die for those people because I love them so much because, oh, do you see how that connects? What did it say in Isaiah? This is what God said. I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. It's important. You have to grasp that. Once you get that point, you realize, oh, Jesus' body and God as a spirit are totally different. Right? We have to get that concept. We must see that. And that, that changes things. Now, the Bible does give us temporary manifestations of God. We call these theophanies. Theo is God. And I don't know what phanies means. I just realized I forgot what to look that up. Anyway, it's, <laughs> we're going to say it's God stuff. God showing up. God, God, seeing God. A visible revealing of God for a specific time and situation. These represent God, but are not the physical body of God. For example, Jacob said in Genesis 32 and 30, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. This later was described as the angel in Hosea 12 verse 4. Yea, he, think you're talking about Jacob, had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept. And made supplication to him. He found him in Bethel, and there spake with us. God spoke to Moses in a cloud and face to face in the tabernacle. Exodus 33 says, The Lord spoke unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. There is a reason that few, if any, theopanies can be found in the New Testament. Can you think of the reason why? Can you think of the reason why? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that. All right. So a class had a, had a homework assignment from the teacher. Um, actually, they began to work on it at the end of class. Had a lot of colors available. Supposed to draw something that was important to them. Um, little boy in the back row picked up five, six, seven colors crayons, rather, and started just coloring all over his paper. It was full. You know that scratchy kind of thing you do on the top right-hand corner, all the way back down the side, and then this color over here on the top of that, and over here at the bottom. And the teacher was concerned that 
she misunderstood or was doing something wrong on purpose. And she said, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing a picture of God. And she said, well, honey, no one, how can I say this? No one knows what God looks like. And he just continued to draw and he said, they will when I get done. And when I think of that story, how silly it is, yet that's literally what Jesus was. Jesus came as a picture of God. Here I am. Jesus was a drawing, in a sense, a picture of God. Not just, not just a theophany, not just a temporary manifestation. All God and all spirit at the same time. I'm sorry, all spirit and all man at the same time. And we're going to get into that. But one of the words used without the, throughout the Bible is the word manifest. Manifest is a word that's used about Jesus. I want you to go down and read the verse first with me, and we'll come back to it. Manifest, we'll, we'll get that blank. First Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Stop right there. Hold on a minute before you go any farther. That word mystery can be confusing to some folks. The Bible does not say that the God has a mystery. It says that godliness is a mystery, and that's a difference. Some people have all kinds of versions and beliefs of how many gods there are, how many persons there are, and then when they get flustered, they say, well, it's just a mystery. That's not what the Bible says. We'll go to Romans sometime soon, but in Romans 1, it talks about the Godhead and that there's no excuse for us not understanding the Godhead. God has shown himself in nature. God has displayed himself. God has left humanity without excuse as to his presence. And one of the things the Bible talks about is the very thing that those who are atheistic or at least agnostic point to as a reason why there might not be a God. The stars, the heavens. But God says the heavens declare God. They declare the manifold works of God. So that no one's without excuse if we make those, you know, crazy questions that folks sometimes ask in, in Bible studies. Well, what about someone born in a cave somewhere who never got to Bible study, who never came to church? God's got them covered too, even though there's a reason they're asking that question. God's got them covered. There's no excuse. Even his creation declares his handiwork. Amen? <clears throat> the reason they're asking that question the reason why I've been asked the question, well, what about aliens? How can, can aliens be saved? The reason I've asked the question about aborigines, what about aborigines, can they be saved? What about people that are headhunters in the darkest, deep Africa? Or what? You, know, you know why I'm asked those questions? Because it's our human nature, when we feel conviction, to point to somebody else. When we feel the pressure, well, what about them? Well, what about him? Well, what about her? What about my great aunt Sophie, who... She was a good person. She picked up trash. She helped people, did all kinds of things, and she never went to church anywhere. What, why do they start doing that? Because that's our nature to get, it, get the heat off of us. And that happened in the Bible many times to Jesus. Jesus is at the womb with the well. He starts talking, and the, the temperature goes up because he's getting close to home, and she starts talking about where she, we should worship. You Jews say you should worship that mountain. We should worship over here. What is she doing? She's getting off the conversation and going over here to worship. And how you people are different than our, us people. But Jesus didn't let that happen. Peter's right there with the Lord, and they're all together on the shore after Jesus' resurrection. And they're all eating the fish. And Jesus just tells Peter how he's going to die. And Peter wheels around and sees John and says, well, what about that guy? It makes me laugh. It's like, Peter, what are you doing? Well, like everybody, they're, okay, what about them? Do they have to do it? Do they have to do it? Jesus, Jesus says, if I decide that he lives until I come back, what is that to you? Are you going to follow me or not? Oh, Lord. And the question is for you and me today. Anytime you feel that evasive thing, Jesus is asking the same question. Are you going to follow me? Will you follow me? We, have, we can put up a beautiful excuses that make great sense. And the Lord says, yeah, maybe they didn't do this, and maybe they did wrong, or maybe these people don't have to do what you have to do. That's not the question. 
what are you going to do? Are you going to do? Are you going to follow me? Mm. So Jesus came to draw us a picture of God. Manifest is the word we just, did we even read that word? We didn't read that word. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. How could God do any of those things if God can't be seen or heard or doesn't have a body? Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. That's the mystery. How Jesus could be all God and all man all at the same time. That's the only mystery part. The Godhead part is not the mystery. Godliness, that body that had all the qualities of God but was still human. That's a mystery. The mystery of the body that can get hungry has got to eat food. Some of you right now are feeling like, yes, you're talking to me. That's me, brother. But also could take a little bread and multiply it. The body that had to sleep and had to rest, yet could get up from that rest and rebuke winds and waves and they had to stop. The body that had to go through the wilderness, that had to fast, that had to pray, Yet could speak to devils and they would have to flee. Could command dead to come back to life. That's a mystery. All of God in his character and his quality inside a human vessel. But the Godhead is not a mystery. Now, the word manifest, I'd like you just to underline that one. God was manifest. Here we go. Strong's Concordance gives us this understanding to make manifest or visible or known what has been hidden or unknown. To manifest whether by words or deeds in any other way. Of a person, specifically, manifest is exposed to view. To make manifest, to show oneself, to appear. Ah, how beautiful. How beautiful is it that Jesus was made manifest when he was, was God was manifest. When he began to act and move and behave, that was God being manifest through him. What does Hebrews say? Who, talking about Jesus, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. Jesus is the express image of God and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand, God doesn't have a right hand, so that's an understanding of authority and power, of the majesty on high. Look at the Amplified. The Son is the radiance and only expression of the glory of our awesome God, reflecting God's Shekinah glory, the light being, the brilliant light of the divine, and the exact representation and perfect imprint of the Father's essence. NASB says, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. Powerful. When you've seen Jesus... The first time human beings could see God in flesh. God drawing a picture. Oh, there he is. I see him now. Now I can see him. That's what manifest is. Manifest is hidden before and my hand comes out. It's, my hand is on manifest. Isn't that? That was like a magic trick. It's incredible. But you think about how silly that is. And that was the hope and prayer and belief and prophecy of so many for hundreds of years. He's coming. He's going to be a child born. And they talked about him. And from Isaiah to Hosea and Malachi and Zechariah, they all spoke about the promised one. They called him the consolation of Israel or the hope of, that he's going to come and rescue his people. Of course, they got that concept of him destroying the Romans. That was their, they, they took it from spiritual to a physical. 
he's going to appear. And when he was there, they struggled. That can't be him because he seems so ordinary. The Bible says he doesn't have any form or godliness. He wasn't good looking that we can understand or anything he would noteworthy. If you saw a whole group of Israeli men and Jesus was part of them, you wouldn't know which one was him. Didn't stick out. He didn't have a lot of money. He came from a poor family. He came from a poor background. He came from a city that you did not mention. The Bible, throughout the Bible, it says, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Dig into that a little bit and you'll find out that that did not have a good connotation. They even said, can any good thing come out of that place? Has any prophet ever come from there? It's like for you and me, when we're talking to someone on the East Coast or West Coast, you live in Indianapolis? Yeah. Indiana, Indianapolis. I live in Indianapolis, you know. That's all they know. I, I say I lived in Boston, but I never lived in Boston. I lived in Salem. Nice place that loves the Lord. No, it really doesn't, but God of mercy. I lived in, I was in Danvers. I was over this, I wasn't really in Boston proper, but people that don't know that, it's best just to say Boston. That's the closest thing. It's like saying you're from Duggar or Farmersburg. Well, not really. That's probably bad. But there are little places you don't want to say you're from. Jesus, can you, isn't that incredible that Jesus did not say, let's just change Jesus of Jerusalem. Let's just make it a better sounding thing. Jesus of Nazareth, how lowly can you go? Yet that was our God and Savior. That was his attitude. He didn't make himself of any reputation. Oh, what a, what a, what a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful Savior we have. So, the Word became flesh. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That word, word, is logos in the Greek. It means thought, plan, or in the mind of God. Plan in the mind of God. It's understood as a play in the mind of a playwright, a book in the mind of an author, a, a building un yet, not yet built in the mind of architect, a coffee table created in the mind of a woodworker that nothing's there yet, seeing it ahead of time, right? Understanding all the parts, how it's going to work out. A creation in the mind that's not yet been completed. Jesus, literally, that plan of God, that logos, had been with God from the beginning. And Peter said, with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was, someone say manifest, manifest in these last times for you, revealed. The word was not another God. What's it say? The Word was God. Do you see that? The Word was God. Do you see in that John chapter 1? The Word was not a lesser God. It was God. The Word did not come about from God over a period of time. It was with God in the beginning. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was none other than the Word, our God revealed in the flesh. Jesus Christ, Jesus was the plan of God. Was Jesus in the beginning with God? As the Word, He was. As a baby? Of course not. As another quote-unquote person? Of course not. We just read the verse when the Lord said, There's no Savior beside me. I'm here alone. Okay. I, have I gotten to my last, my, last, my last thing? Great. That was wonderful. Boy, I'm doing good. I'm so proud of myself. Excellent. I, here's, here's, the, here's the concept I'm wanting to get to you. Have I gotten all the blanks? No? What blanks am I missing? The, one, the two that are up there right now? Seeing Adam before sin in the world would have... What's up there, Sister Ashley? Reminding you of God. Oh, I love that. I'm not sure what, what copy I have. Obviously, it's the wrong one. As I forgot about that. Okay. So, I love that. Thank you. 
Okay, let's start, let's start in that part. Adam, the Bible calls the first man Adam, was made in the likeness of God, made in the image of God, right? I've always wondered about that. How did Adam look like God? Did he have God's nose? Was it his God's ears? Did he have like strong hands like God? Of course, we understand God is a spirit, right? doesn't have nose or hair or hands or fingers or toes. So what part of Adam looked like God? It wasn't his body. It can't be that. It's his spirit. Remember, God breathed in Adam and became a living soul. That's what looks like God. The spirit looks like God. The body, I hate to tell you this, this may be shocking news, the body gets older and it changes over time. And what you look like now, you may not look the same in 10 years. My wife Jennifer said something to me very, very hurtful a few, five years ago. She said, I had starting to lose hair in the middle right here. And she said, Scott, your, your forest ha- has become a prairie. And that was very painful to me. So now my prairie has become a desert. I'll fix that business right there. I'll take care of it. You get older. You can't possibly say the body is what looks like God. And your body, the Bible says, will go back to dust, right? But your spirit will go back to God, and your soul will live forever. What looks like God is your spirit. When Adam was created, I can only imagine the animals looking at him and saying, oh, that looks like God. That, now I know who you remind me of. I got it. It's, it's like God. What is it like God that's in us, that creative power, that ability to change and do things, that spirit? And, of course, Adam fell into sin. But the Bible talks about the second man, Adam. That's Jesus Christ. He's now come, and and this, this verse right here, this phrase, the concept is the image. Seeing Adam before the world would have reminded you of God. In the same way, the exact same thing, Jesus Christ, looking at him, you realize, oh, that's how God acts. That's how God behaves. When you get your Bible and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John especially, you can say, oh, that's how God acts. Because that is God in the flesh. Caring for the littlest things that no one else remembers. Having compassion on the, those who are tired and weird in the way. Being angry and very, very frustrated at misuse of his own house. Being unhappy with unjust weights. Noticing and seeing a different number system than anybody else did. We all know how it works. You add it up. That's one, and that's ten, and that's a hundred, and that's a thousand. That's a lot. Jesus said, no, that's not a lot. See her? See the lady right there? See her? She gave more than they all. Lord, I learned that in school. Two little mites is not more than a, lots of bags full of money. That's, this is little. That's a lot. No, no. She gave more because I count what's left over after she's given it. They gave out of their abundance. She gave all that she had. When every time I see that, then we realize, oh, that's how God is. So when, uh, give me that last one there, um, Sister Ashlyn. The exact expression or the image of any person or thing, marked likeness, precise reproduction in every respect. Um, can I see someone's paper? Can, if you may have extra paper, I, my paper must not. Can I see that, darling? Thank you. I must not have the last pieces that you're talking about. Okay. So, yeah, I, I guess I list. Oh, now I know what I did right now. Okay. So I looked up the word express who being the express image of his glory. I'm sorry, express image of his person. That word express is character. It looks like character, doesn't it? I put a little dash there because my, um, my computer program kept, kept auto-correcting it to character. Even though I had a C-H-A-R-K to E-R, it kept fixing it. So I had to put something in the middle. A character, or character is the actual definition, is a mark stamped upon 
by the instrument used for engraving, our carving instrument, are wrought out on it. A mark or figure burned in, we see it in Leviticus 13, are stamped on the impression, the exact expression or the image of any person or theme, a marked likeness, a precise reproduction in every respect. That is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in the flesh is the exact or perfect image of God. He's the only God you'll ever see. He's the only body that's in the Godhead. Right? And I, I'm, I understand that you might have questions or thoughts from your past about what you've learned or what you've been taught or what some, someone that you trust or love teaches that may be different from this. But if you get the basic concept, God is a spirit, and that's different from a body, it'll help you with everything else. And we're, I'm going to get into more stuff and hopefully help you. The, here's the thing about the Word of God that, that is the most important thing. God's Word is always right. People are not always right. People we love are not always right. Preachers and teachers do their very best, but they're not always right. There is a standard that's higher than people. There's a standard that's higher than the best person you can ever imagine. The Word of God stands. The Bible says the Scripture cannot be broken. It says heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. Every bit of it matters. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. His word is so powerful. His word is an exact direction for our life. It is our true north. It's our true north. No matter how wonderful technology gets, no matter how great it gets, and I'm thankful for it, we've got to have at least an agreed upon direction. I remember the days of maps. Anybody ever had a map and used a map? Maybe still have a map? I'll never forget. This is bad for me because I used to be horrible, horrible with those things. And I haven't touched them again in the past, oh, 10 years. But for a while there, I had to do it. I was in, I remembered being in downtown Boston. How am I going to get to Dorchester? I got to get over here to the street, take a picture of this house. And I got a 42-page book, map of Boston, put in the coat of my car and flapped it open. You got to go to the back, got to go to the index, you got to find the street name, Hawkins Drive, okay, that is page 32, G14, you go to page 32, you find G, you go down to find 14, there it is. The problem is, when the street keeps on going to find out where you're at, this page does not connect to Hawkins. It says a little arrow, see page 6. God, please help me, Jesus. So I turn back to page 6, find where Hawkins is over there. Then i got to turn back to page 17 to find, okay, here's my highway. Can you imagine that, some of you today doing that? And then you know what's worse about that? Some of our fathers, grandfathers, some of you in this building, would get angry with us kids if we didn't fold the map correctly and putting it away. You don't even know how to fold a map. I didn't know there was a class on folding. We got to fold the map, put it away correctly. You can't just go like this and put it in the pile and shove it in the glove department. Oh no, that's bad. But I remember those days. I had to learn that. That was hard on me, and God put me through that. I am a person that my first job I got fired from because I took a two and a half hour lunch. And that was my fault because I lost my car on the side of the mall. I, w- I forgot what part of the mall I went into. I went in, I had something to eat, and then I lost my car. By the time I found, they weren't laughing. You're laughing, but they were not laughing. By the time I found my car and got back, they weren't happy with me. They had a meeting. Scott, this is not a good thing. So I, God put me through, you know, fire and brimstone. I had to learn in downtown Boston how to read a map. Now, I don't have a map. I haven't read a map in, in a decade. Everything is GPS. Matter of fact, I had become like a dependent on GPS. If it ever became malicious and wanted to take me into a cliff or off on a river, I'd probably be going that direction. And I I know that sometimes my mother-in-law would ask me in St. Louis, Scott, which road should I take? I'm here on 70. I see a lot of traffic. Should I go on 270? Mom, I have no idea. My GPS, it knows about traffic. I use Waze or Apple or somebody, and I don't even know anymore. 
But here's the thing that stays the truth no matter what changes with technology. There still has to be only one north and one south and one east and one west, right? It's not okay to say, you have your north and I've got mine. And, over, and my friend here doesn't even believe in north. Think about how ridiculous that is. They don't believe in there's a north at all. Imagine how a mess our world would be without at least holding on to there is a north, there is a south. If you look for it, everybody has a word. They've got a feeling. They've got a belief. There's prophets here and there. There's my friend. There's this preacher that I know, the teacher. There's this guy on the internet. The word of God has got to be our true north that is able to override all of us and say, this is true no matter what anyone else says. This is true no matter what anyone else believes. This is true when even if it tells me I'm wrong and it feels bad that I've got to look at it and say, well, I was wrong. The word of God has got to be right. The Bible says it like this, let God be true and every man a liar. We have a powerful word of God. If you feel in your life that bucking up against these concepts, the things God's speaking to you, the things God's talking to you, even in this medium, and you begin to go to either turning to other things in your life or other people and say, well, they don't do that. I don't have to do it. Remember, Jesus is asking you that question. Will you follow me? Are you going to obey my word? And he asked this simple question. A book was written on it. It's a beautiful question. I'm almost done. If I tell you the truth, Jesus said to the Pharisees, why do you not believe me? If you can establish that Jesus is telling you the truth, then you've got to answer the question, why am I not listening to him? Why do I not believe him?